cyber friends. This is Chatting Cyber, and I'm your host, Mark Shine. This podcast focuses on how companies can help qualify and quantify the cost of a data breach. Chatting Cyber features some of the most well-respected privacy and cyber experts in the world. Join the conversation with business leaders, government agencies, and cyber experts to learn more about how and why they got into this ever-changing field that we call cyber risk. Hello, cyber colleagues. I'm Mark Shine, National Co-Chair of the Cyber Center of Excellence and the host of Chatting Cyber. Today's cyber celebrity is Kristen Judge. Kristen, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Mark. So Kristen, I mean, what you are doing for small businesses and individuals is truly remarkable. Um, my question, you know, before we get into all the great stuff that you're doing, I mean, for, for, for a girl who grew up in Rochester, New York, to be named SC Media's you know, woman in IT security influencer, I think is an incredible accomplishment. How did you get from point A to point B? Yeah, you also put in there that I was a stay-at-home mom for 13 years and a county elected official. It really is an odd path. And that's why I love to say to people, anybody who wants to get into the cyber infrastructure career area, there's lots of places for people that are concerned about cyber risk and making good communities. So for me, it was I was an elected official, and there were kids in my community who were impacted by online predators back in 2010. They left their home with someone they met on Xbox or on Facebook, and I live in a bedroom community that has you know, very little crime, and I realized the criminals are now in our living rooms. And as a mom, I knew I needed to do something about it. So, Kristen, um, tell us about, a little bit about your background. I mean, you had such a multifaceted background between what you were doing personally and professionally. How, how did you get to this point? Yeah, so um, I was very fortunate when I was a county commissioner to work on the Public Safety and Justice Committee at NACO, National Association of Counties. And at NACO, I met someone who was detailed to the Obama White House, and he asked me to help him educate elected officials on their role in cybersecurity. I said, I'll do that, but I need you to help me understand uh, cybersecurity. And so I learned enough of what CISOs do and CIOs do to be able to be an interpreter for elected officials because they would always say, oh, well, that's an IT thing. I don't have to worry about it. But I would say, no, you set the policy and the budget that is impacting the ability of the security people. So um, I just started going around the country working with uh, CISA. Uh, it was DHS then, excuse me. Uh, and the former White House, and um, we educated people. And so if you get into something like cybersecurity back in 2010, before a lot of people were doing what I was doing, I just carved a niche because I could speak to elected officials and security people. And did you feel like um, when you were coordinating with the uh, Department of Homeland Security, did that help the, um, the coordination? Did it help with the validity of the message that you were trying to deliver? Absolutely. Yeah. And then we were also supported by AT&T and Comcast and other private sector too. So the public-private partnership piece really isn't just cliche. It did give us credibility to be able to go and talk to people. Sure. So, so can you tell us a little bit about the Center for Internet Security? Yeah. So I was thrilled to get my start in cybersecurity at CIS under uh, Will Pelgrin's tutelage. He's been an incredible mentor. And there I helped CIS um, the portion of CIS that's the MSI SAC that's funded through DHS, I helped them grow their local government uh, members. When I started, I think they maybe had 70 or so local uh, members that had signed up for the MSI SAC free services. Now they have thousands and thousands, not because of me, but I was there the first few years letting mm -hmm. local governments know, look, through NACO and 
conference of mayors, I'd go to all these conferences and say to the, the elected officials, look, there's free help for you from the federal government. It's not an unfunded mandate. There's actually free help. So it was a really easy thing to sell. So it's interesting. So, so I, I want to I want to touch upon um, the uh, cybercrimesupport.org that you have. But before we do, um, just kind of thinking about you know individuals and and um, small businesses and really the, the the risk that they face with respects to cybercrime. Can I ask you? Is there is there certain types of attacks or certain types of instances that? Um, the organization typically sees more often than not, whether it's an individual or a small business? Absolutely, and unfortunately, the trends uh, are pretty consistent, and whether it's IC3 looking at reporting or the FTC or what we see on our website, uh, romance scams are almost always at the number one for individuals' concerns. People are losing their entire livelihoods, their retirement, their homes, and their mental health because it's so impactful. Uh, Cyberbullying, unfortunately, I feel like we need to do more in that area because that's usually number two. Um, and then from the business standpoint, not surprising, ransomware and business uh, email compromise or hacked accounts, those kind of things are always uh, in the top three. So no surprises. You know, what's, what other organizations are seeing, even at the federal level, we see the same uh, trends. Is there any talk in the community, you know, you mentioned cyberbullying and we've been hearing more, you know, about mental health, given that we've all been, you know, home for about a year. Is there anything that the community is really doing to, um, um, I guess, make sure that we're a safer country or a safer uh, a business or a safer individual? So we are so excited. We've just started a few programs. We got funding um, from Trend Micro to just now start a program called Securing Our Community. And what we're going to do is we're going to train Girl Scouts and, and, you know, Boys and Girls Club and college students to not just go home and talk to someone in their lives that's a little less tech savvy, but actually change their security posture. So we're going to have a program where there'll be one page on our, our website where you can go sit down with someone who's less tech savvy and add two-factor authentication to their account, add a malware um, you know, um, program, um, change their privacy settings, do three or four things in a half an hour, and then we're gonna have the person who helped them check it off. Yes, I just secured one more person. And we're gonna see the security posture of people actually change. We're also gonna send them into small businesses and their communities that they're friends with. For example, you know, I'm friends with, our, um, with the person who does my hair and owns the salon, so I could go there and do it with them. But we actually have to start changing people's security posture. And Trend Micro just gave us the, the seed funding for that. So that's what we want to start doing. We, we love our think tank friends, but we want to be a do tank and just actually change people's security. In the trainer mentality. Exactly. So, 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 you know, let's get to really the meat of the conversation. Really, I mean, I was so excited that you accepted our invitation to be on today's show. What you're doing with Cybercrime Support Network, I think, is phenomenal for small businesses. Oftentimes, you know, um, we will hear of an organization that may not have cyber insurance, so they don't know who to turn to. Can you tell us what the Cybercrime Support Network is doing for small businesses when they have a data incident? Yeah, so what we started with was a proof of concept uh, by using 211 in six states. So those have been winding down, but we made it so that a small business could call 211, which helps people with human services. It's an information and referral number. 
but they could call there and get some advice following through what's on fraudsupport.org. So if you go to our victim-facing website and you say, I'm a small business, I've had this happen to me, it shows you how to report, recover, and then reinforce your security after the fact. So we want to be that one place that if a small business doesn't have someone they can turn to, like their cyber risk insurance company, they at least can start getting some information. And we want to encourage them to get cyber risk insurance because we know that they shouldn't be handling this on their own. But it's important that they at least have somewhere to go to get started, but there's so much more is needed. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. But the fact is, is am I correct in saying that you are the only organization in the country that's currently working with small businesses like this? Well, there are some that are trying to provide member services, um, and I don't want to call anybody out, but there are some that are providing member services, but there really is no organization that you can go to besides ours that steps you through the process of here's what you can do if you don't have anybody else you can call. So, you know, I, I, I follow you on LinkedIn, right? And I, and I like your, your Tuesday security tips. I think that they're great. I mean, can you tell us how, how, how you... Where are you getting this information? How can our, our listeners, you know, obtain this constant update of continuous information that would help perhaps make them a, a more secured risk? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, so we have on fraudsupport.org an area that says, I think, get, get informed or something like that. And we list about 10 newsletters or, you know, organizations that we sign up for update emails. So, you know, we follow what the Federal Trade Commission, IC3, is coming out with. Steve Baker has uh, Baker Fraud Network. So we're constantly consuming what the latest information is. And then I have an incredible team. Uh, it's not me. I don't prep for those. Um, I have an incredible team that finds what's the latest issues that we need to be talking to people about. And what I bring to the table is I'm not tech technology trained. So I'm not so tech um, savvy that I can't put it in regular people's language. So I, I don't have an IT background, which is actually sort of helpful for where I need to sit because I need to talk to the regular small business owner. Absolutely. I feel like sometimes, um, you know, what we hear from a small business owner is that people speak, you know, to them rather than, or speak at them rather than speaking to them. And especially, uh, and most notably within cyber risk, right? I mean, sometimes the terminology or the, the analogies that we're using are just um, not layman terms, frankly. Yeah, and I've trained thousands. When I was at the National Cybersecurity Alliance, I created the Cybersecure My Business program. And I trained thousands of small businesses all around the country on the NIST cybersecurity framework. I created a course that says, you know, here's just identify what you own. I didn't go into the details of all the technical stuff. But at the end of every session, there was always someone that came up to me and said, okay, I get this now, but can you just give me a list of what I need to buy? You know, just, just give me a checklist. But, you know, cyber risk insurance was one of the number one things we told them that they had to focus on. Uh, but they then would say, okay, so which, which antivirus should I buy? They just, they don't have time to focus on that. They need someone else to help and just help them get through it because they've got to worry about running their business. No, Kristen, it was really interesting. New York State just came out with some guidance with respect to the property and casualty insurers writing business in the state of New York, effectively providing guidance with what they need to do from an underwriting perspective making sure that the organizations have a little bit of skin in the game with respects to ransomware, making sure that they're addressing things like silent cyber. So when we think about this holistic nature with respects to cyber risk, you know, I was really glad to see that the regulators were coming in and now starting to give additional guidance for the cyber insurance carriers, because I think that's frankly the only way that this industry is going to keep continuously improving 
and uh, making us all a better a better risk for lack of a better word. Yeah, and I also think that we could take that a step further. I would love to see um, that the cyber risk companies are tying the small businesses or something to, if you do this, we'll give you a better premium. If you do this, we'll give you a better premium, like your seatbelts and all. I'd like that to be a little more uh, obvious to the customers and consumers. And I think that should, that should, that could drive us to such a more secure place. Absolutely. And I would, uh, a comp, uh, you know, uh, kudos to my, my, my colleagues uh, over at Marsh USA. Uh, they've created something called Cyber Catalyst for, you know, larger organizations, not necessarily the folks that you may be dealing with. But if they do, um, if the insured does engage with certain products or services, they would perhaps get additional coverages or a reduction in price. Um, so so your, your, your model and concept is absolutely uh, uh, spot on. I would say the industry, we are now starting to move forward in that direction. I'd love to say that the middle market has done as great of a job, but I don't think that we have, and I think it's something that we can improve upon. And hopefully you know, with your coordination and your support um, and kind of what you're hearing in the, you know, uh, you know, boots on the ground, I think it would be very helpful and it would be a great partnership. Agree. And that's why we have to keep these kind, kind of conversations going because we, I think we will get there. Uh, we just have to follow the models of car insurance and other insurance carriers uh, because cyber insurance is, you know, still forming and finding out its place. Um, we know the importance of it, but I know there's still some great growth opportunities. And, and Kristen, you know, I, I know we haven't really spoken about this, but I think one of the areas really for cyber risk when we talk about the individual basis is having some type of, you know, again, the cyber insurance that could be integrated into a homeowner's policy should that individual then experience a data incident you know, depending on if it's a one-person family and they have a living in an apartment versus a family office that might have a more complex network than many businesses do. Um, Absolutely. I see huge value there because also then, you know, if I get in a car accident, the first person I call is my insurance agency and they help me and, and they're there to support me. And I can see that same type of, um, you know, support from someone who, oh my goodness, our home router was just breached and I can't even get into any of my home computers. I can see that really evolving. Individuals, if one in four Americans, according to Gallup, are a cybercrime victim every year, there's a need for something like that. So it's just about getting the word out there and having these conversations. Absolutely. Um, I think the homeowners industry has done a good job of developing the product. I think we need to do a better job of advertising the product and really getting it out into Main Street America. Mm -hmm. uh, so Kristen, be before we let you go, um, we touched upon a lot of different things. But, you know, is there anything that I should have asked you that I really didn't touch upon today? Yeah, where do we think this is going? So what's Cybercrime Support Network's end goal? And we're excited to see the Cyberspace Solarium Commission just uh, shared a transition document with the Biden administration that talks about needing a national call center for individuals and small businesses. They also call out the need for victim services grants that go to nonprofits that are serving these victims. It's just the, the cybercrime victim has been uh, pretty much invisible. And we're finally seeing, thanks to the Cyberspace Solarium and their leadership and some of the congressional leadership like Congressman Langevin and, and others and King and SAS, um, we're finally seeing that the victims have a voice and they're being heard. So I, I feel really good about the chance that we could get to a national center. Absolutely. And, and you know, we are big supporters of the cyber, U.S. Cyberspace Solarium here on Chatting Cyber. We've had 
uh, two current members, uh, both uh, former Congressman Patrick Murphy and Corey Simpson, uh, who are part of Ankara. So we, we thank them for everything that they've done. And we're really glad to hear that you're coordinating with them. And, you know, the suggestions that they're providing are really becoming meaningful to Main Street America. So, Kristen, again, I, I, I welcome you to come back on the show and to give us continuous updates with respect to what's going on in, you know, uh, our local communities and how we can improve, you know, uh, small business and individuals, because it's, it's just such an overlooked conversation nine times out of 10 when you speak about cyber. It's talking about systemic risk, uh, uh, you know, massive bodily injury and property damage. So I think what you're doing is a great service to the community. So I thank you and I thank you for coming on the show and chatting cyber. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. I love your show and, and the great discussions that you have. So thank you for having me.